0: But it's so good to be here with you. I know I'm with like-minded brothers and sisters in the Lord. I admire your pastor and have heard so much about what the Lord is doing here at Colonial. And so it's a privilege for me just to put my toe in the water and just uh, feel what God is uh, accomplishing in these days. And I just know that uh, God's hand is upon you for good as a church. You are an encouragement to churches all across the country, and I'm sure all around the world, you're a part of something very special that God is doing. And so, I just would encourage you to continue to excel still more in what uh, God is doing in and through you in this place and these days. And so, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to, to minister the Word of God to you. And I know I stand in the pulpit where the Word has been so carefully handled and so wonderfully proclaimed, and so it is a great privilege for me to stand in this pulpit. you would take God's Word and turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 33. And today I want to speak to you on this subject, show me your glory. Exodus chapter 33, I want to begin by reading some of the verses that we will be looking at Today, this is a message about the glory of God. It's a message about the greatness and the grandeur and the supremacy of God in your life. And quite frankly, there could be no greater issue in your life than who God is and your knowledge of God. As your knowledge of God goes, so shall go the entirety of of your Christian life. You tell me what you believe about God, and I will tell you everything else about the direction of your Christian life and your ministry. And so I want us to consider this today. Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 18, the Word of God reads, Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live." Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it shall come about while my glory is passing by, and I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen." It was A.W. Tozer who said it years ago, God is looking for men in whom His glory is safe. By this, Tozer meant that God is looking for men and women who live for the glory of God, who are living with a passionate pursuit of the magnification and the exaltation of God's glory in and through their lives. God's glory is primary. God's glory is foundational. God's glory is first and foremost, and God is a jealous God, and He will not share His glory with another. He will not compete for the spotlight where His glory is shining. We live for the glory of God, or we do not live at all. We merely exist. The beginning In the end of all things is the glory of God and everything in between. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 11 in verse 36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is what it's all about. That is the purpose of everything. From Him, through Him, "...to Him all things for the glory of God." Whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, "...do all to the glory of God." Anything and everything that is not for the glory of God is sin and rebellion. And all things that are toward and motivated by the glory of God are pouring forth from God Himself." In the end, all that matters is not the glory of man and not the fame of this world. All that matters is the glory of God. If we fail to live for the glory of God, we will be reduced to living empty and hollow lives. Look around you at work. Look around you in your neighborhood. See it in your own extended family. People who are living for this world are living empty and hollow lives. It is only those who are living for the glory of God who are elevated and transcendent above this world and who are truly living as God intended them to live and who are living for time and eternity. This must be our chief end and our highest aim, the glory of God of God. This is why I'm so captivated by this man Moses in this instance in Exodus 33. Here is a man who is full-blown living for the glory of God. Here is a man who is sold out for the glory of God. Here is a man who is seeking the glory of God. Here is a man in one prayer who says, "'Show me your glory.'" I want to ask you this question. What are you living for? What is the driving force of your life? What is motivating you? What is empowering you? What causes you to wake up in the morning, put two feet on the floor, and to press out and to press on in life? What is energizing and engaging you? Do you want your life to count for time and for eternity? Do you want God to use you in an extraordinary way? Do you want to live for that, not which is the mundane and the common, but for that which is supernatural and which is eternal? We must live for the glory of God, or we do not live at all, we merely exist." And this prayer by Moses, a man who has come to know God, a man who has come to behold in some measure the glory of God, as he stands here at this moment, there is one driving energy that is revibrating through his soul and is pulling him forward, and it is a passion to know more of the glory of God because as he knows more of the glory of God, Everything in his life is being elevated and propelled forward. There is no greater motivation in life than the glory of God. Now, let me set the stage as we look at this passage of Scripture. The year is 1445 B.C. Moses is standing at Mount Sinai. He has already been to the mountaintop, and he has already received the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. But while he was on top of the mountain receiving the law, the people of God were in the valley breaking the law of God. And so in righteous indignation, Moses smashed the two tablets, and it was indicative of how Israel had broken the law of God that he was receiving, and he knew that leading the people of God, this very people who had been caught in this orgy. This very people that has caused him to smash the Ten Commandments would be the greatest challenge of his life. And if he was to be enabled by God to lead a people like this, he knew he must know more of the glory of God. The greatest challenge of his life laid before him, the greatest obstacles that he would ever face, were directly before him. And if he was to be enabled by God to be used in the lives of these people and he would be going in the wilderness in circles for the next 40 years, there is only one thing that would sustain him, only one power that would undergird him in life. And that would be to have a greater knowledge and a greater encounter and a greater personal heart experience of the glory of God. I want to submit to you that no matter what challenges lie before you, no matter what obstacles are in your path, no matter what difficulties surround you, and no matter where the path of God's will will take you, ultimately, it is the glory of God that will take you there or you will not arrive. And so Moses, in this moment, offers up this extraordinary prayer that I believe must be a prayer that will be in our hearts and in our souls, and as we leave today, that we would be a people who would leave with this burning passion God, show me more and more of your glory. Now, as we look at this text today, I want to give you the overview of the outline that you might see where we will be going. In verse 18, we'll see the request, show me your glory. And then second, the restrictions. God affirms he will show his glory, but beginning in verse 19, running into the next chapter into verse 4, there will be five restrictions. Because Moses will be unable to handle a full disclosure of the glory of God. And then in verses 5 through 7, the revelation, as God will proclaim his own name and nature. God will not even use a prophet. God will not even send an angel. It will be God himself who will descend, and it will be God who will announce his attributes, and it will be God himself who will declare his deity to Moses. And there will be this unveiling of the glory of God in the name and in the nature of God that will be proclaimed to him by God himself. God will be the great expositor of his own glory. And then finally, in verse 8, we will see the reverence, as there can only be one proper response to the one who has beheld the height and depth and breadth and length of the glory of God that is made known to them. There is this reverence. So I want to begin in verse 18, and I want you to note with me first the request, more than anything else… Moses offered this request, wise was Moses, mature was Moses, selective was Moses to get to the point. As he offered this request, he said, I pray you, he humbly beseeches the Lord, I pray you, show me your glory." Now, we need to understand in the Bible there are two aspects of the glory of God. We have already sung today of these two different aspects of the glory of God. There is ascribed glory. Ascribed glory is the glory we give to God. As we sung, to God be the glory, great things He has done. Ascribed glory is ascribing to God the honor and the worship. And the praise that belongs to him alone, and he is a jealous God, and he will not share that ascribed glory with another. You shall have no other gods before me. And all glory, all ascribed glory, is to go to this God. But there's a second aspect of the glory of God. Not only ascribed glory, which is what we bring to God and give to God, but there is also intrinsic glory. And the intrinsic glory of God is who God is. It is the sum and substance of all deity. It is the alpha and the omega of the divine attributes And the divine perfections, and the divine essence, and the divine being that belongs to God alone. And there is nothing that you and I can do that can add to the intrinsic glory of God. There is nothing that we can do to augment the intrinsic glory of God, nor is there anything that we can do to remove the intrinsic glory of God. He is the God who was and who is and who shall be forever. He is the immutable God, the internal God, from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. This is the intrinsic glory of God, and it is the sum and the substance of of all that God is. It is the intrinsic glory of God that Moses makes mention of here. And by the way, the more you know of the intrinsic glory of God, then and then only will you give greater ascribed glory. The more you grow in your understanding of theology, the more you will bring doxology to God. The more you know of the nature of God, and the names of God, and the greatness of God, the more you will give ascribed glory to God. There is nothing more life-changing and life-transforming. There is nothing more life-changing and life-transforming than for you to grow in the grace and in the knowledge Of this God. How encouraging it ought to be for us to read here Moses, this man of God, this man who was saved, and the imputed righteousness of God has already been accredited to him. That as he comes to this point in his walk with the Lord, there is one great driving need that he has. And it is that he would know more of the intrinsic glory of God. This certainly tells us that no matter where we are in our spiritual life, no matter where you are in your Christian life, there is still so much more of God for you to know, for you to experience, and for you to encounter in your life. We have only experienced but the fringes of His ways. Even Moses himself could pray this. Moses who stood on holy ground at the burning bush and saw the glory of God. Moses who had already seen the pillar of cloud lead Israel out of Egypt. Moses who had already seen the hand of God part the Red Sea and for the people of God to escape, and for Pharaoh's army to be drowned, Moses, who has already seen the rock break forth with gushing water, Moses, who has already seen so much of the glory of God put on display before the eyes of his heart, nevertheless, praise this prayer, "'Show me your glory.'" Listen, I want to say that none of us in this room have arrived. We must all be pressing on every day to grow in the knowledge of our God. Eternal life is the knowledge of God. This is eternal life, John 17, verse 3, that they may know Thee and Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us to grow spiritually, for us to mature and the things of the Lord requires that there be a new depth, a new breadth, a growing height of our understanding of God's own glory. And so Moses prayed this, show me your glory. I want to say before I move on that this should be the heartbeat of every one of us who are in this room today. God, I want to know more of who you are. I want to know more of your grace. I want to know more of your truth. I want to know more of your holiness. I want to know more of your sovereignty. I want to know more of your righteousness. More of your wrath. More of your omniscience. More of your omnipresence. More of your omnipotence. God, I want to know more of who you are knowing that this is what is ultimately driving my Christian life. My sanctification will never go beyond my understanding of the truth about God and who He is and how He operates in my life. I may not live up to all that I've come to know of His glory but I will never grow one inch beyond the measure of what I have come to know and experience in my heart of the glory of God. So this is the request, and it is a request that each and every one of us must offer. I want you to note second now the restrictions, beginning in verse 19, because God graciously answered this prayer. And God chose to respond in a favorable way to Moses. He gives a yes, but answer. The yes is in verse 19. The but begins in verse 20. It is a yes, but there will be some restrictions to your request, Moses. And so verse 19, he says… I myself will make all my goodness, and that is a synonym for his glory, all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord. He gives an affirmative answer. God does to Moses. Yes, I will reveal my greatness and my goodness to you. God will not be playing hide-and-seek with Moses. It is God's desire that he be known by his servants, for his servants cannot fully minister for him without this knowledge. So he says yes in verse 19, and God says, I myself will proclaim my own name to you. He says, "...and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion." This is the verse Paul quotes in Romans 9, verse 15, that describes sovereign election and sovereign grace. This tells us that the knowledge of God always comes by divine initiative, and it comes by sovereign grace. God must make Himself known to us, and we can only know God to the extent by which He graciously chooses to allow Himself to be made known to us. We can only know God to the extent that this sovereign God reveals Himself to us. And do you see how personal it is? I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. This is to underscore that our knowledge of God's glory is individual. It is personal. Sir, you cannot know God by your wife's knowledge of God. Children, you cannot know God by your parents' knowledge of God. Every one of us must have a personal encounter, a personal experience with God, and there is only one way to come to know this God, and it is through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now in verse 20, He begins to give these restrictions, and it is to show us that none of us could bear up under a full disclosure of who God is. While we are finite upon this earth, it would be easier for us to walk on the surface of the sun barefoot and to look into the blazing ball that shines in the sky above than for us to look face to face upon the unveiled glory of God. There is none of us in this room today who can even comprehend how infinitely majestic and how absolutely glorious is this awesome God in the essence and in the revelation of all that He is. And so God says to Moses, verse 20, but He said, You cannot see My face, for no man can see Me And live. It would be too much for you to handle. In fact, it would kill you, Moses. It will be a mercy to you that I will not unveil to you all that I am. You see, it will not be until you and I are glorified, may we behold his glory face to face. It will not be until we shed this finite body and be made glorified, Romans 8 verse 30, and be presented faultless to stand before the throne of God, and made perfect in the image of Christ, only then in that glorified state would we even be able to look upon and behold the infinite glory of God. And even the seraphim around the throne who are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of His glory. Are covering their face with two of their wings. For they cannot even be in His presence. And look upon His glory. So he says, verse 21, Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, You shall stand there on the rock. God is directive, and God gives the imperatives in how this unveiling of His glory will take place. And it will come about, verse 22, while my glory is passing by, that I will, here's the first restriction, put you in the cleft of the rock. The rock will provide a shield between Moses... And the glory of God, he could not stand in the presence of the glory of God without there being this buffer in between. And then second in verse 22, and cover you with my hand, which is a a figure of speech, an anthropomorphic expression in which God is accommodating himself to us as if saying, you cannot handle a full revelation of, Of my glory. It is as if I will put you in the rock and then put my hand, a double shielding. Verse 23 Then I will take my hand away. And here's the third restriction you shall see my back. Moses would not even be able to look straight on, directly at the face of God. All Moses could even bear up to see would be the afterglow of the glory of God. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. I wonder when we sing to God. I wonder when we pray to God. I wonder as we meditate upon the Lord if there is this sense of privilege that has been granted unto us, and this sense of the the awesomeness of who God is, this God who lives within us, a casual worship service is the ultimate oxymoron. No one who knows this God, no one who stands in the presence of this God can take God in a casual way. You go hide in the rock, I'll put my hand upon you, and Moses, you can only see my back. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourselves two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you smashed. Moses had already broken the Ten Commandments because Israel in the valley was breaking the Ten Commandments, and God now by His grace is reissuing a new set of, of two tablets upon which He would write the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. Verse 2, so be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. Verse 3, here's the fourth restriction, no man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountaintop. If this was the typical church today, they would try to Get everyone they possibly could in a bus and up to the top of the mountain to see this. And God said, no, this is so personal. This is so individual. This is so awesome. You are to come by yourself to the mountaintop. And then he adds at the end of verse 3, "...even the flocks and the herds may not gaze in front of that mountain, not even the animals may see what I'm about to reveal to you." Do you realize how privileged it is to know God? Do you realize how privileged you are by sovereign grace... I will be compassionate upon whom I will be compassionate, and I will be gracious upon whom I will be gracious. For God to say to you, come to the mountaintop by yourself and enter through the narrow gate that leads to life. Verse 4, so he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones Moses did. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. And as Moses went up to the mountaintop, it was to fulfill a divine appointment that he had with God. It was to experience an overwhelming encounter with God, a personal encounter with God's glory. Every time you come to this church, it is that you may encounter the glory of God. Every time you come into this house of worship, it is by divine initiative and by divine disclosure And it is that you may draw near to God and to behold a greater glory in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. Every time as you come here, it is not to find yourself. It is not to understand the times primarily. Ultimately, it is that worshipers may see and behold the glory and the greatness of God that is revealed through pages of Scripture and is sung in the praises of His people. God is so much more glorious than any of us can even imagine. May we never grow complacent with where we are in our spiritual lives with yesterday's knowledge of God. I want you to see, third, the revelation. I want you to see the revelation that is made known to Moses now beginning in verse 5. This is the greater glory that is made known. There will be the passing by of the pillar of fire, the cloud of of glory, but there will be an even greater glory than the physical display of light. There will be the pronouncement of truth by God Himself. God will preach His own glory. Would you not like to hear God expand His own greatness and for God to magnify His own grandeur God does so now. In verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there, and as He did, it is as if God mounted the pulpit and will now preach to Moses the supremacy of who He is. Listen, we all suffer from too low view of God. All of us here today have room for yet a greater and grander and higher understanding of the Lord and His perfections. So verse 6, the Lord passed by in front of him, and no doubt this was a terrifying experience for Moses as God's nature was transformed into blazing light. And now comes the sermon in verse 6, and proclaimed, the Lord… The Lord God, so much to expound in this. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children, on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations, two things you need to know about this revelation. There is the revelation of the divine name in verse 6, in which he says, the Lord, the Lord God, and then the divine nature, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. The divine name, the Lord, that is the name Yahweh, Uh, that is the name from the root word to be, Which speaks of the fact that God is self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, without beginning, without end, without change, forever the same, never increasing, never decreasing, independent of all, autonomous within Himself, dependent upon no one, everyone and everything dependent upon Him, the God who is active, living, life-giving, sustaining in all, it is declared to Moses in His name. And then the word God, the name God. Do you see there the Lord, the Lord God? The name God is El, which means the strong one, the infinitely powerful one. The one who is greater than all circumstances. The one who is greater than kings and kingdoms. The one who is greater than all events of world history. And then he unveils the divine nature. It is an expression of his grace. God could have chosen to reveal His holiness. He could have chosen to reveal His righteousness. He could have chosen to reveal so many aspects of His character. In this encounter, it is so good and kind of God to reveal His tender compassion to Moses. As Moses will be experiencing for the next 40 years some of the most difficult times that any spiritual leader will ever endure. For 40 years, Moses will lead millions of his people in circles in the wilderness. They would be a rebellious people. They would be uncircumcised of heart. They would be a stiff-necked people. And Moses needs to know this about God, or Moses would become jaded, And Moses himself would become insensitive to all of the carnality and all of the rebellion that would be around him. And God reveals what you and I need to know about God. As we are surrounded in these days and in these times in a world that is in anarchy against God, and even a professing church on the larger scale that seems to have gone so far away from the Word of God and have gone off even into apostasy, we are living in a generation just like Moses, a people identified by the name of God, but who do not know the God of the scripture. We too need to have this revelation of God made known to our hearts the sovereign grace and the undeserved mercy of God upon His chosen people. Compassionate, God, full of tender affections and warm devotion towards His people. God is not a stoic sovereign. God is not a cold and calculating ruler. God, whose heart is blazing with holy love towards you and me, compassionate, gracious, the word gracious from a Hebrew word meaning to bend or to stoop down. God descending down to us. God reaching down to us with unmerited favor. A superior reaching down to an inferior. This is who God is, and this is what God has done toward us supremely in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. A God who is slow to anger, long-suffering, patient, and forbearing. A God who is abounding in loving kindness. This, this word loving kindness has said speaks of the loyal, steadfast love of God for his people. The never-ending, ever-enduring commitment of God to you and to me, no matter how difficult the night, no matter how dark the valley, no matter how demanding the times, God stands with His people. And He is abounding in this loving kindness, unwavering in His devotion to us, unfaltering in His loyalty to us. And he keeps his loving kindness for thousands. Do you see that in verse 7? This keeping of his loving kindness for thousands refers not to thousands of people, but thousands of years and thousands of generations and thousands of ages. No end to the love of God graciously toward us, his people. We will never come to the end of God's loving commitment to us and who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Do you think Moses needed to hear this before he started out on his 40-year journey through the wilderness surrounded by so much iniquity, transgression, and sin? He needed to be reminded that God and God alone can forgive sin, does forgive sin, and it glorifies God to forgive sin. This is the glory of God that is being put on display before the watching eyes of Moses. It is the sheer proclamation of the objective truth of the character of God that is being made known in a cognitive way by divine initiative to the heart of Moses. And yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And God must augment this revelation of His grace, lest any of us take it for granted that God is a God of wrath, He is a God of justice, And he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. I want to assure you that every sin in the history of the world will be punished by God. Not the smallest sin of the most insignificant person who has lived in the most obscure place will ever escape the knowledge of God, nor ever escape the judgment of God. Every sin in the history of the world... Will either be judged in Christ upon the cross or judged in hell in the soul of the tormented, damned unbeliever. But every sin in the history of the world will be infinitely and absolutely and justly punished by a holy God in heaven. How gracious of God! to take our sins, we who believe, and to place them upon His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the fullness of time, and to crush Him. My time is gone. Finally, the reverence, verse 8, Moses made haste to bow low before the earth and worship Him. This must be our response here today. It's not for us to giggle at this. It's not for us to be indifferent about this. It is within our hearts and souls for us to be gripped with a new and profound sense of the holiness of God, the grace of God, the sovereignty of God, the righteousness of God, we must see what Moses saw, we must hear what Moses heard, we must feel what Moses felt, we must respond as Moses responded, or we didn't get it. And for there to be in our heart what there was in Moses' heart, to this greater disclosure of the name and the nature of God to his servant... Moses made haste to bow low. To bow low. In humble submission. No one struts out of a worship service. We all walk out with a sense of humility and reverential awe for the majesty of the transcendent glory of God. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. It was this revelation of God's glory that produced the adoration of God's glory. It was intrinsic glory that produced ascribed glory. It was this greater understanding of the divine name and the divine nature that brought about this worship being ascribed to the one who alone is worthy. This must be our response here today. And if you find yourself outside of Christ, there is only one way for you to enter into the presence of this God, and it is through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You could never gain entrance to a God this holy, this awesome, this perfect in the filthy rags of your own unrighteousness. You must come by way of the cross where the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has prepared the only way into the holy of holies and into the very presence of God. And if you have never believed upon Jesus Christ, this is the God that one day you will stand before. And this is the God one day to whom you will give an account. And this is the God who has sent His Son to be the greatest revelation of His glory to us. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. He will have compassion upon whom He will have compassion, and He will have mercy upon whom He will have mercy. And that saving mercy is not for all. It is only for those who humble themselves and believe upon Jesus Christ, and who surrender to His Lordship, and who repent of their sin, and who say, It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, in great need of Your grace. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.